Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome back. to Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Um, I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is airborne hopes for young adults with mental health conditions. This is the first in our new series in which we talk with faith-based and culture-based groups about their approaches to family caregiving for difficult health problems like mental health conditions. So first, what do mental health conditions mean for young adults? Well, as many as half of young adults experience some type of mental health condition, but many of the young adults don't seek treatment. Of the mental health conditions for which young people do receive treatment, there are developmental and learning disorders such as autism, fetal alcohol syndrome. There are serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia, obsessive compulsive disorder, disorders of emotion, mood, and behavior, some of which are also very serious, such as bipolar disorder, which involves wild mood swings, and depression, which may be so severe that it leads to suicide. Now, medical treatment is sometimes essential for mental health conditions, is sometimes helpful but not sufficient, and is sometimes not the best approach, which is why non-medical care is so important which is what we're talking about today. Now, to talk about airborne hopes for young adults with mental health conditions, I'm welcoming two guests, Deanna Finch-Smith and Bruce Ritchie. Deanna Finch-Smith is Executive Director of the Salvation Army Lawson Ministries in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. The Lawson Ministries, which she's been with for 16 years, supports adults with developmental disabilities Uh, and does so in residential, day, and employment opportunities. Her 25 years of work in the social service sector has given her a wide base of knowledge and experiences which she draws on to support individuals with developmental disabilities of many types. And she and her husband, Steve, and their two boys live in Brantford, Ontario, where they're active in the sports world. Bruce Ritchie, our other guest, is moderator and CEO of the Fetal Alcohol Disorder Society, and he's the single father of a son who was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome as an infant. 
Despite great challenges, his son graduated from high school as an Ontario scholar and is now studying online for his Bachelor of Arts degree. In 1991, Bruce was a founding member of the Fetal Alcohol Support Network, a branch of which went online with FAS Link, which now serves more than 400,000 people annually. And in 2007, he led the great FASD horseback ride across Canada. And he's received eagle feathers from First Nations and the Métis Nation Honor Sash. So, welcome to the show, Diana and Bruce. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Now, first question for Diana. Please tell us about the Salvation Army's Lawson Ministries. Well, the um, Salvation Army started in social services with uh, people with disabilities in Hamilton in about 1980. Um, and they started with a residential program, and they supported approximately um, 12 individuals um, who were over 18. And the oldest at that time was um, around 52. And over the years, we've progressed to expand our programs um, to the point that we now have um, 60-some people living in various um, different living opportunities in the community. So that could be a group home with 24-hour support to somebody living in their own apartment where we'll go in a couple of times a week and um, just do check-ins and see if their banking's done and their meds are up to par. And we also have people living in residential care, um, long-term care homes, and we go in and support them in that type of, type of living arrangements as well. Um, we also do employment supports. We have a wide variety of different employment opportunities. We have educational programs at Mohawk College. Um, we have a partnership with McMaster University where we support people in employment at McMaster. And we run a thrift store where people um, with disabilities have an opportunity to learn retail business and then um, go on to be employed in retail op um, employment opportunities in the community. So we, we basically, if somebody comes to us with their dream, we, we try and make it happen. Right, <laughs> so we, right. We do, yeah, we have a very, very wide uh, variety of opportunities for people. Okay, now I'm going to switch to Bruce. Please tell us about your work with FAS Link and how, when, and where, and why did you create it? Well, as you mentioned, Gordon, my son uh, was born in 1990 with fetal alcohol syndrome. His mother was a family physician with a serious alcohol problem. Uh, she eventually passed away in, in 1999 from long-term usage. But when he was four and a half months old, I had to pack him up and we had to leave. It was just simply too dangerous to stay. Um, very quickly found out that, uh, you know, his diagnosis, because they hadn't diagnosed it before the separation, of course, and also found out that the professionals really didn't know how to deal with it. And so I became a founding director of the Fetal Alcohol Support Network uh, to try and gather families that uh, are dealing with the same issues and glean every piece of information wherever we could find it. Uh, when the Internet became public, uh, publicly available, I started on to that because uh, I'm a computer geek from way back and uh, developed our website, and it's built into now providing more than 150,000 fetal alcohol disorders-related documents online. Our discussion forum now has more than 700 members, and they are a wonderful information and support resource 
all of which is archived and made available to the public who come to the website. Right. Now, we're going to talk more about uh, those discussions you have on your website. I want to go back to Deanna. Uh, I want you to tell us specifically about your work at the mission for young adults with mental health conditions. Deanna? Well, um, as I mentioned, the people that we support, um, they're all adults, and they, as Bruce was mentioning, FASD, that seems to be a um, very increased population at this point, and so we've, we've turned our focus to FASD and to autism, so we've recently built an autism center where we offer opportunities for people with um, any variety of disability to come and access the center. We have a teaching classroom where people can come and use computers, um, learn to read, do their resumes. We have a gymnasium. We have a healthy cooking program. Um, we have a, a snoozing room where f um, people with autism come to do their rela relaxation therapy. And we also have an art therapy group, and the art has taken off like crazy over the last couple of years. We've actually, it's a lucrative business now for the, the artists themselves. They display their art in the community as well as um, throughout our center. And we've recently opened um, uh, the Freeway Cafe, which is a, a part of the Church of the Salvation Army, and it's also a small coffee shop. So we're using that as an opportunity as well to exhibit the art of the artist and also as a training center for folks to learn how to um, run a business, run a coffee shop, and explore different opportunities there. So as I mentioned before, if they come with a wish, and we try and make it happen for them. Right, great stuff. Now, Bruce, what currently are the typical medical approaches to the type of mental health conditions that FAS Link is responding to. And I think we're talking here chiefly about FAS, um, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. Well, now, I want you to just to be straight out with this. How effective, in your view, are these medical approaches? Uh, generally, uh, not of any use at all. Okay. The medical approaches themselves are, are uh, usually in dealing with fetal alcohol uh, the traditional way of trying to deal with it has been behavioral modification techniques uh, because a lot of the issues that we deal with are, are more behavioral than, uh, than they are in terms of medical issues. Uh, it's the educational, the social environment that uh, tend to be more important. Uh, but unfortunately, we also don't have enough physicians out there doing diagnoses. That, that's the medical end. Uh, the medical profession is falling down very, very seriously there. We have to, you know, I'm in Sarnia. We have to send somebody to, you know, anybody down to London or Toronto for a diagnosis. And that's not right. That, but that's where the, the medical profession really needs to be involved. From yeah. there, you go into the social working and educational end of it. And that's where we have to have people understand that what we have are, are individuals with a brain injury. And behavior modification does not work with brain injuries. So we have to get the psychologists and the psychiatrists around to understanding that we have to, we have, in many cases, areas of the brain that simply aren't there. And we have to find coping strategies and workarounds, not behavior modification. Deanna, that sounds as though there isn't a lot of help um, from my profession. Now, I w just want you to say, 
I presume then that you agree, do you, that these social, and that's a broad term I'm using, approaches are really extremely important for things like FA, fetal alcohol syndrome and autism. Um, very briefly, because we're going to run into a break, do you agree with that? And if you don't, please say why not. I agree um, to a point. I think we, we can access some of the services, but there's always a wait list. And the wait list can sometimes be very long. Um, when you do get a specialist, there's one or two. Um, for instance, in Hamilton, you have the whole city of Hamilton, and you have, um, we have 12 agencies in the Hamilton area that, that support people um, similar to the folks that we have. So there is some of the services out there, but the wait lists are huge. I think there needs to be um, a, a better look at research and partnering with the universities and um, trying to get the students on board before they're graduating type of thing. But, yeah, that, there's, there's definitely a need for an improvement in that area. There are gaps. Now, we're going to take the break. Um, we're going to come back after it to follow up on all of these things that we, we've just touched on. So this is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Deanna Finn-Smith and Bruce Ritchie. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Uh, please stay with us. We will be back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you ready to get freed up? Join Dr. Jennifer Freed, one of America's leading psychological thinkers, for a groundbreaking program with fascinating guests and full participation from you. Freed Up will explore topics like liberation in long-term relationships, parenting in the 21st century, comfort in stressful times, and much more. Tune in to Freed Up every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and wake up to the heartbeat of your life. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my. M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Deanna Finch-Smith and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is Airborne Hopes for Young Adults with Mental Health Conditions. So let's talk about the challenges that mental health conditions create for young adults. And Bruce first, what currently are the typical social challenges to the type of mental health conditions that FAS Link, your, your organization, responds to, and how effective are those approaches? Well, essentially, uh, again, I go back to what I said before. Uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders 
are often undiagnosed, but they're never unpunished. Uh, we can't cure brain injury with punishment. And if you look normal, you're expected to behave normally. Mm -hmm. Society has severe sanctions for failure to behave normally. So, because, And our kids don't do abstract. They're very, very concrete in their thinking. But all rules are abstract, and so they're going to break rules. And when we break rules, the typical response uh, historically for thousands of years has been punishment to say you shouldn't break those rules. With our kids, we have to understand that it's a brain injury that punishment isn't going to work, so we have to deal with other ways of dealing with things that are problematic for them and for people who are around them. And that means being a little bit more creative and an awful lot more positive. Right. Diana, what are the types of mental health conditions that bring the young adults to the care of Lawson Ministries? A lot of the social challenges typically associated with those conditions. Diana? Um, we support people, as I mentioned, with uh, FASD, autism. We have individuals with physical disabilities. We have people with dual diagnosis, um, so they, they'll have a developmental delay as well as a mental health issue. Um, and I guess some of the social challenges, like Bruce mentioned, um, especially with our FASD folks, um, breaking the rules. In um, what we're constantly facing is the correction system and our folks going before judges and sometimes even being incarcerated and um, and having to go through all of that when they don't even understand what the rule was, but but they end up you know in a, in a situation where they're um, in jail and having to face you know the what goes on in a jail so you're 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 trying to support them and keep them safe and then reintegrate them back into society as well so um there's a, definitely some challenges there with the correction system um the funding is is a, also a challenge um people have they live they live on ODSP which is $980 a month um which isn't a lot of money for somebody living in a city um and the other thing um we're fighting but it's getting better and with the ODA it's it's going to be better is uh, accessibility for our folks um, with physical challenges and ensuring that they're able to um, get transportation and get into buildings and get to where they need to go. Gotcha. Now Bruce, these challenges that uh, Diana's just been talking about, are these the sorts of things that uh, family caregivers talk to each other uh, through FAS link? In other words, is this a topic of discussion for FAS Link? And how satisfied are your family caregivers with the help they and their family members are receiving? Well, they, they express the same frustrations that Deanna has, has expressed. Uh, as our kids get a little older, they become a, a little more mobile in getting around, and they run into much more opportunity to mess up. And they get... Uh, into an age in which they, if they have a meeting with the law, they can end up in jail when they don't even understand what they did, or even if they did it, because they can be easily persuaded to admit the things they didn't do. Uh, so the justice system really has been problematic. Fortunately, the Canadian Bar Association has recognized that for fetal alcohol, uh, and we're working with a project that to mention a little bit later on called Justice Alert that will hopefully try and divert uh, a lot of these individuals from sitting in a jail cell and coming before a judge. 
in many cases, hopefully get them straight back to the caregiver or into uh, some sort of a diversion program, not, uh, not a criminal punishment program. Right. Diana, by what routes do the young adults come into the care of Lawson Ministries, and what are the challenges have these young people experienced on their way to you? Um, in Hamilton, we have a access center called Contact Hamilton, and um, families who need care for their loved ones would go and make an application to contact. Um, they would meet with the resource coordinator, and then they would assess um, what the, the individual's need is, um, and then they're placed on a waiting list. Currently, um, there's probably about, I'm going to guess, about 300 to 350 on the residential wait list, so that could be for um, a 24-hour support to still living to associated living, so it might be a family home share. Um, and then as vacancies become available in the community, um, we, as a, as a service provider, bring the vacancy forward to a community table, and we describe what our vacancy might look like. So if it's a 24-hour um, vacancy, we would describe the living situation, what the, who the roommates are, um, the location, that sort of thing. And then as a pro community process, we look at the individuals on the wait list and see who is best matched. And then the person would come for um, some dinner visits and then an overnight. And then if it was um, a good match for the family and the individual and the other people living in the, in the, um, in the location, then we would um, start the transition of moving the person in. But the wait lists are extremely long. Um, Vacancies come available basically when someone passes away. Um, in still they in supported independent living, they'll, they'll become available a little bit better because people are transitioning. And the goal is in our still programs is to teach people the skills they need to move on into their own apartment in the community, and then just have um, staff checking on them periodically. But that too takes time. So. And with some, the transitional age youth, so the folks that are coming through the high school system and through the Crown Ward system, um, and, and the majority of those people do have FASD, um, those numbers are really growing as well. So we're seeing an increased need for SIL spots. Um, so we're always looking at new opportunities and new ways to be creative to build apartment settings or buy a house and make, you know, build it into apartments and um, approach private landlords to um, rent spaces on behalf of the individuals and then try and be creative with our staffing to support the people to live as independently as possible. Right. Bruce, you mentioned um, a new um, program um, that's attempting to address the challenges or problems uh, that arise when these young people are involved with the justice system. Please tell us more about that and whether you see these new things as promising, um, uh, as a promising solution to some, some of the sad problems you've described. Well, we're really quite excited about it, Gordon. It's called Justice Alert. And it's a partnership with MedicAlert in Canada and hopefully expanding into the U.S. Uh, fairly quickly. We'll be doing a pilot project down in the Sarnia-Lampton area. Uh, it is essentially the individual will register uh, and be provided register with MedicAlert under the Justice Alert program. They will provide information that will be held in the MedicAlert's uh, database. They will also wear, you know, the medical alert type bracelet, but it would have a different type of uh, symbol on it that would be a combination of that and the scales of justice. 
uh, and perhaps a different coloring to it that would be able to alert law enforcement that this individual has FASD or a mental health condition and that they should be handled in a, in a slightly different way. So part of the issue is bringing the judges and the police and the various social agencies on, on board with the system so that the individual in a lot of cases can be uh, not just thrown into a jail, uh, a jail cell, uh, that the phone number on the, the bracelet or the dog tag or whatever can be called, they can be given the information, it may just simply be returned to the caregiver or uh, into a, a different environment and not just a, a general jail cell. Hopefully this will, and the courts are looking at it as also a way of, of not punishing people who are there because of a disability. Uh, they're overloaded, as it is, and if this can divert uh, a lot of people out of the system, it'll make life easier for the judges, the crowns, and everybody else involved uh, in the whole process. Right. Diana, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to interrupt you in the middle of your answer because we have to take the break, but I will come back to you. What I want you to describe to us now, please, are the principles that underpin the ministries, Lawson Ministries' work with the young adults. Diana? Um, I would say our, our principles are of a, a holistic approach. We want to provide individuals um, that come to our program um, all of the, the tools they need to become a citizen of their community. We want them to be as independent as possible and have the highest quality of life that everyone else is entitled to. Um, we want people to be able to live independently, make their own choices, um, encourage them to make good choices. And we also, um, we, we, we certainly look at the spiritual component and offering people um, the spiritual needs that, that they may have as well. And I guess the other um, big principle that we base our work on is ensuring people have gainful employment and that they're, um, they're treated um, respectfully and given opportunities like any other employee, employee would um, at any given work site. Just on that last one, this question of employment, is that um, something that's uh, new in, in the way of thinking for the healthcare professions? Um, it is. It's new, not like within the last year, but I would say within the last um, 10 years, it's something that's really been on the increase. The government has recognized it. They have started their employment supports program through um, the Ontario Disability Program, and which what's really nice about employment is you can create um, your own your own idea of a job. If somebody, um, and that's where the Airborne Films came in, we have... Um, for individuals with autism who came to us, they all have some art and theater background. Um, they they wanted to do movies, and we, um, you know, took took their ideas and did some fundraising, and they've now started their own small um, filming um, production company. and And it's just it's amazing. They're getting some job offers. They're learning all kinds of stuff, and the and the small movies that they have produced are absolutely incredible. So that's just um, one example of employment. We have people... I'm going to stop you now. Yep. Um, you will get another chance, I promise you, because we're going to talk about airborne films uh, in, the, in the next segment. So it is time for us to take the short break. It's necessary to, to pay our rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, my guests are Deanna Finch-Smith and Bruce Ritchie. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel 
stay tuned. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Do you remember what life was like when you were young? Having the mobility and ability to play all day and then sleep through the night without needing coffee in the morning? For the majority of us, gone are those days. But they don't have to be. Transforming Health with Brad King will show you how you can awaken your youthful energy potential and live a disease-free life of abundant energy and vitality. Transforming Health is broadcast live every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m-y-m-o-n-a-m-i dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Deanna Finch-Smith and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is Airborne Hopes for Young Adults with Mental Health Conditions. So, let's talk about the ways in which hope comes to the young adults you care for. Diana, first, what is Airborne Films? What is it intended to do? And how are the young adults involved in it? Um, Airborne Films is a um, loss and ministries initiative, and we have four individuals with autism who started the the, um, company um, at the beginning of this year with the um, guidance of one full-time staff member who um, goes out on sites and assists them with filming. And then um, we have a dedicated dedicated space at the new Autism Centre where they come back and they actually put the footage into uh, DVD movie footage. They've done uh, movies for the Hamilton Film Fest. Um, the, the very first movie they did was called Take a Walk in My Shoes, and um, it, all the actors in the movie were participants that either lived with us residentially or attended our day program, and they actually wrote the script and went out and got all of the um, items needed for the movie and the, the wardrobe, and they did it from beginning to end, and it was um, submitted for the Hamilton Film Fest. They've also... Um, been hired to do Woodview Manor in Hamilton is an agency that supports people with autism and they actually filmed their um, autism conference in the spring and um, have have now produced a movie which highlights um, the three-day conference and that will be for sale next year at the autism conference and they've also done um, a cooking program we have a, a strive for health cooking program within our day program 
and we had some money from the Ministry of Health, and we were able to do a uh, two-year pilot. And these people went, and they, they filmed um, the individuals doing the cooking program, so they... Um, they filmed them making the grocery list and going to the grocery store and buying the items and then coming home and, and cooking an item from beginning to end. And now that, that cooking DVD is used um, in the cooking program. So that was filmed from beginning to end as well. So, so let me quickly stop you just to clear yeah. a point. They are paid for this work, aren't they? They are, yes. Yeah. And the business, as I understand it, is a for-profit business. Is that right? Yeah. Um, it it is, but it actually the money generated pays their wages. Of course, <laughs> so yes, it, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've got I think they've got about three different jobs lined up um, over the next few months now. So there, it's it's the words out. People love the idea, and the guys are absolutely incredible at what they do. Fabulous. Now, Bruce, at Airborne Films, they use really advanced computers. I know that because I've seen them at work. Pete, you're a you describe yourself as a geek. How helpful are computers in helping young persons with various mental health conditions to make the most of their abilities? Bruce? Oh, the computers are absolute keys to success. They really are. And, and right from the time the child can hold a mouse in their hand, uh, you know, three years old or so, um, they're patient, repetitive, and predictable. Using the appropriate games, you can help develop fine motor skills, the ability to plan predict and make decisions. Uh, they teach how to succeed and accept failure, uh, build confidence. Uh, they're absolutely wonderful teachers. Um, our kids usually have uh, illegible handwriting, as my son does. But you know, uh, I provided him with uh, an AlphaSmart keyboard, and uh, he can type 80 words a minute. That is a good speller because Spellcheck is an instant teacher. And his school notes are good. There's, there's no problem there. If he had to do it by handwriting, it would be a disaster. Uh, it helps in their developing a social circle. Without the bias is often found in face-to-face communications uh, because they can go online and they can play the games online as well. Uh, it can improve their social skills and their reading capabilities. That was the motivation for my son to learn how to read. He wanted to read the instructions to be able to play the games on the computer. And so we had the motivation, and he got the reward because then he could play his games. Uh, and as with any tools, of course, it's important that parents and caregivers exercise good judgment and awareness. Uh, there are predators online just as there are predators walking down your neighborhood streets. And our kids should be on the computers, as they say, as soon as they can hold a mouse. Right. Deanna, in the other work-related training and experience you offer to young adults, do computers play a role? Can they play a role? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and this, especially with our um, people with autism, they have a, a real um, knack for computers and understanding computers. And with the computers, we're, we're able to um, do the teaching. Um, we've, we've done music programs. We've done math. I mean, it's just and it's something that they don't seem to be intimidated by. Um, with the Airborne Films Company, they did some fundraising last year to buy the the new Mac um, computer, which is beautiful, and they and it allows them to do produce their DVDs in the quality that that people want um, when they've been you know when they're hiring this 
these gentlemen to do their do their movies. So yes, computers are. I mean, we have computers throughout our entire building, and we were blessed when we opened our autism center. We had an, a gentleman that donated um, all of the computers to the whole building. So we're very fortunate to have new computers at every site. <laughs> yes, which is more than some of us can say. Yeah, right. I won't say his name. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, Bruce, um, let's talk about paid work. What's the experience with the population of young adults you're concerned with? What's the experience with paid work as social help for these, for these you call them kids, for these young adults? Well, I, yeah, I call them kids, uh, and I guess because I'm becoming an old part myself. <laughs> Anybody younger is a kid. But at any rate, um, yes, they, our kids can succeed with the appropriate working environment geared to their interests and their capabilities. And you know, we just have to be sure that the employer that they're working with uh, is not just using them for cheap labor and being abusive. I, I really do think a, a lot of our, our, our individuals have a better chance to succeed in the kind of operation that Deanna is talking about where they're essentially self-employed. And they can work at their own pace, uh, they can do their own creativity. Accommodations can be made for them as individuals. I want to see a situation, though, with, the, with uh, our individuals that ODSP isn't clawing back income from them because that really becomes a bit of a disincentive. Uh, the amount of income that they have to begin with on ODSP is uh, almost unsurvivable. Uh, it's just it's really a difficult situation allowing them to succeed and build up a, a little better standard of living is an encouragement to continue on doing that clawing back is a very negative thing to do but our kids yes can succeed in the appropriate working conditions okay Deanna this leads into my next question for you which is looking to the future you look to the future what, and what are the conclusions you draw about the future care for young adults with mental health challenges of the type your young people experience? How do you see the future? Deanna? Well, when I look at any individual coming into our program for um, employment supports, I certainly want to think it's a, a blank picture and we can fulfill whatever dream or goal they may have. Um, I do agree with Bruce. Um, around some of the challenges with employers and getting them in the door. I know um, some employers are wonderful, and then others you're constantly going back and trying to get in that front door and give the individual um, an opportunity to at least prove themselves. We found with the ODSP training program that we've um, been successful in, with many different employers and, and just getting in the front door and, and letting them meet the individual is usually the big, you know, once you can get them in the door, you can usually um, get through the interview and at least get an opportunity to try and give the individual um, an, a chance to prove themselves. Um, but it is very nice because working for the Salvation Army, um, we have various opportunities to create employment opportunities. We have churches, we have missions, we have food banks. So we're, we're inside of a very, very big um, social operation to begin with, so we can create employment opportunities, and then you can control um, some of the things that go on. But we do have many people employed. Um, Boston Pizza has been wonderful, um, opening the doors for some of our folks. 
Um, we have a young man who works at two different Boston Pizzas, and he is a part of the whole team at Boston Pizza. He goes out to their hockey games. He doesn't play hockey, but he sits on the on the bench and cheers them on, and he goes out and hangs out with them afterwards. You know, he's he goes bowling with them on Friday nights, and he's become part of the whole family at Boston Pizza. Um, and we have McMaster University. Again, they've been incredible. We have eight people working permanent part-time positions there, and they've a- they're actually we got through the union at McMaster to get them in the door, which was a huge challenge. And now it's just it's maintaining those um, opportunities, ensuring that the, the employee is doing their job and working to the best of their abilities and making sure communication is there with the employers. And if, if problems are arising, we're addressing them and making things better so that we can continue the employment uh, position. Got it. Now, Bruce, only in a minute or so, because we've got another break, um, do you see the directions for the future of care of young people with fetal alcohol syndrome in the same light as, as Diana does? And are there particular things you'd like to add? I'd like to clone a thousand Deannas, quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> and, and get those programs going right across North America. They're, they're desperately needed. Uh, the only thing I would add on to that would be uh, expanding out to the Triumph project that uh, we had uh, conceptualized a few years ago uh, as a rural village uh, that was intended to be completely self-supporting and uh, not only residential but again uh, a self-employed uh, working environment but in, in a more rural type of environment. A lot of our kids uh, get into difficulties um, because they, a lot of the, the group homes etc. they end up in are in the downtown core uh, where they can become pigeons uh, you know, for the unscrupulous. Uh, and so some of the some will be an awful lot more successful in a rural type of environment than in an urban environment. So that's about the only thing I'd like to uh, add on to what Diana is doing because what I what I see coming from uh, the the ministries there is just absolutely phenomenal. Great. Now, we do have to take our break. We're coming back, and um, we're coming back to talk about the future. Um, It is time to take the break. Uh, This is Dr. Gordon Adley, my guests, Deanna Finn-Smith and Bruce Ritchie, um, are talking about important things to do with with the future. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Uh, Please stay tuned. We're coming back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Marsh Engel Show. 
Join the movement to empower yourself with the essentials of feminine power and success and learn how women around the world are becoming more inspired, more influential, and absolutely amazing. Each week, Marsh sits down for an engaging conversation with women who are boldly committed to living their most amazing life. You'll discover ways to step into your greatest vision, deepen your relationships, and unleash your real creative brilliance. Get ready. It's time to jump into the conversation. That's Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern for The Marsh Engel Show on the Voice America Business Network. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Deanna Finch-Smith and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is Airborne Hopes for Young Adults with Mental Health Conditions. Now, I want to switch the focus to family caregiving, which, as everybody knows, is more and more important, not just for families, but also for the healthcare systems and society as a whole in North America and beyond. So, Deanna, first, how, tell us more how family caregivers are involved in helping young adults the Lawson Ministries care for, and what challenges do the family caregivers face? Deanna, please. Um, Lawson has a great family network. We have um, people who um, have been there um, since their, their loved one was, was, came into program, in 1980, and we have um, we have a community council that, that several parents sit on and are involved in um, assisting us in fundraising. Um, we have um, family volunteers who are in the building every day, and that they could be helping out with the art program, or they could be helping us hang pictures. Or we have one gentleman that comes in and you know and helps us with snow removal and that sort of thing. But I think it's really important to have the families um, active and involved and welcome. They don't have to call to come in. They can walk in the door any day um, to come and see, you know, their loved one or come in and to meet with us and, and go over issues. We're um, very approachable that way, and we encourage the family involvement, and we want, we want to have the family's input into the care of their loved ones, and, and we certainly in, encourage their support around advocacy for their loved one. And as well, um, when we have some tough issues to go forward with to the ministry, um, it's great to have them on board and have their support behind us. And, you know, I always think, uh, I, I'm a mother as well, and I know I would want to be able to be involved like I am with my children's school. I, I, I want that door open to families all the time, and I certainly encourage it, their involvement. I couldn't do my job, actually, without the family involvement that I, that I have at the agency. So, and I certainly appreciate their input and their guidance. Right. Rose, it's really the same question, is how... Um, with what challenges are family caregivers um, involved with the young adults that the FAS Link Group is concerned with? 
Well, the, the issues uh, come back to something that uh, Diana, Diana mentioned earlier. Uh, the wait lists for any kind of services tend to be too long. Um, you know, if you have a situation where only 70 people can receive services, but there's a waiting list of 300, uh, it takes a long time to go through that long waiting list. So there, that is a major challenge. It's a challenge for us to try and even get diagnoses and testing and that type of thing. But as they become adults, um, they become far more mobile. They drive cars. Most of our kids look absolutely normal. There's no way of looking at them and telling they have FASTI. And so they venture further afield. They can have a normal uh, IQ, but still have difficulty in adapting to new situations. Uh, it's harder to keep track of who their friends are and make sure they're not involved with the wrong crowd. Um, they're followers and easily led astray. If a group gets, them in, gets into mischief, then it's our kids that get caught. Uh, the kid, they want to work uh, and they want to earn money, not only for what it allows them to acquire, but also for socialization with other people. Uh, so choosing a career direction and continuing education can be challenging. Uh, planning and looking into the future is not a strong point for, for individuals with FASTI. So that's, those are all challenges. Right. Diana, again the future now. And again, to sort of say to you, suppose somebody comes to you and says, all right, tell us what we in society, maybe through government, should be doing more to help family caregivers with adult children who are facing the family caregivers and the children, the challenges we've been talking about. What are the things that you would advocate? Well, I would certainly um, look at the funding models and the, um, the amount of the ODSP. It hasn't gone up in, in several years. But if people had more funds to um, create different types of living environments and to pay, to pay rent, to pay the rent to live in, in a, a safe and, you know, not a bug-infested apartment building, that sort of thing. So I'd, I'd certainly look at the funding. I think um, continuing to listen to families, to um, provide different educational opportunities, to um, look at being flexible in, in um, developing programs with families, and I know um, we certainly, the Hamilton has um, met several family groups that are very active. And, um, and one, one of them is, is trying to build a residential um, care home. And um, they've been, they're off doing their own fundraising now because they've gone to the government so many times for support. But because they're not a transfer payment agency, they're not, allowed, they're not able to access ministry dollars. So I think looking at the funding and looking at different opportunities to be flexible with that. Right. Bruce, it's basically the same question. What do, what, we, we hereby appoint you as somebody in charge. What's going to be your program for bringing more and better help for family caregivers in the sorts of circumstances we've been talking about in this? As, as Deanna mentioned, uh, funding is, is key to just about everything. And uh, you know, all programs, all funding are basically controlled uh, politically. And so we, need to, we do need to provide more funding supporting the agencies and, and funding supporting the families themselves, uh, who are our caregivers. Uh, many of the kids, uh, as adults, uh, stay in the family home, uh, issues that every parent are, uh, 
with a child with disabilities is concerned about is what happens when they die, you know, who will look after them. So issues like pension trusts have to be set up, but if there's no funds, yeah, that's hard to deal with. Um, the financial in the impact on uh, families who raised kids with major disabilities is devastating, typically. And 85% of families who are raising a child with major disabilities divorce because of the stress. And that can leave a single full-time parent not working, uh, trying to raise a child alone, or compromising raising the child by having to go out and work uh, in a job that uh, you know, does not provide the support for the child. So when they, by the time they become adults, uh, the funds aren't there. Uh, the pension is only a dream, uh, and they still have, may have the care of the adult child in their own home. So those are really serious issues, and there needs to be more support for that. Okay. Let me just challenge you both on this. Um, healthcare is always asking for more money because there's always more need, wherever you look. What are the arguments, Deanna first and then Bruce, that you're going to use to convince the people who have the money that the increase for the population we're talking about is so important that it should take some kind of priority. Diana? I think I would go forward with case studies and look at some of the, of the, the um, horrendous situations that are occurring in our communities where, um, and especially with the individuals with FASD who, like Bruce said, they look completely normal, but they're in our communities, they're vulnerable, they're being coerced into gang situations, um, they're, they're just, they're not living safely um, based on the amount of funding that they're getting, um, and they may, um, based on their criteria, if their IQ is over 70, they're not eligible for developmental services. So they may have an IQ over 70, but they still may not be making good choices and, and be putting them, themselves in danger in the community because of their disability. So I, I think I'd go forward with some case studies and some stats um, as well from the correction system um, about how often these folks are, are landing in our jail systems and before a judge and holding up the whole system where, um, you know, it, it could be something that they didn't even know they had done wrong. Right. So I'd, I'm going I'd, to interrupt you. I'm sorry to be rude, but we're going to run out of time, and I just want to have Bruce answer this question as well. Okay, what would you be, um, what would you be campaigning for in the way of change, in the way we do things, and why? Well, of course, I have, I have this thing about uh, the alcohol industry creating more children with fetal alcohol syndrome and dis other disabilities. So, you know, really the, the alcohol industry pays $3.2 billion a year in taxes to various levels of government uh, in this country. The cost of the product that they produce and the damages that are being done far exceed $50 billion a year. And it seems to me the politicians simply can't do math. They think that $3.2 billion is a bonus, but when you're blowing away over $50 billion a year in the damages, it's really kind of stupid not to deal with the issue. The largest disease in this country is MD, massive denial. Anything they don't want to talk about or think about, they don't. And this is just the nature of our species. So essentially we have to get by this massive denial issue and get them realizing what, in fact, it is costing. Uh, you know, they whine and complain about the level of taxes, but it's costing us 
uh, the net loss on booze in this country is $1,400 for annually for every man, woman, and child. You know, it's an industry that should be paying the tab for all of that. And when they start paying the tab, then there are going to be fewer people who are going to be able to afford binge drinking. You know, it will become a single sip as a treat instead of something that blows people's brains away. So that's one area that I'd like to push the politicians on. Okay, very good. Now, we are coming to the end, but I just want to say to both of you that uh, you're talking about money, and Bruce has come up with really quite a sharp argument about that. Now, obviously, opinions are going to be divided, but I think what you're going to both say is the population you're pointing to, the population you've described, these young adults, and the cost that they represent to themselves, to their families, and to society justify uh, a really hard look at how well these things are supported, your programs are supported, how they can be extended. And um, I'm not sure about cloning people like Diana, but uh, <laughs> certainly, as uh, Bruce was suggesting, but I'm certainly absolutely certain that the kind of work you're both doing needs lots, lots more support. And if this show, this episode, can help in any way, I would be very proud. So I want to say thank you, first of all, to our listeners and invite them to email us with uh, their comments and questions. And I'd be very happy to pass them on to Deanna and to Bruce. Um, you know, any queries about their, their particular programs, their particular policies, their particular ideas, please don't hesitate. I want to say thank you to Diana and to Bruce for sharing with us, of course, your experience, of course, your insights, and of course, your advice, but also that sense that you have that you're on the right track, that bringing these people, these young people, into that sense that they have value. They're working for their living. People are paying them. What they do is respected. They get excitement, they get pleasure, they get respect out of the work they're doing. And in your ways, you're both, both your organizations are providing the kind of environment and promoting the kind of environment that brings forward those things which are so profoundly important. Now, I do apologize if I start, sound as though I'm lecturing you and the audience, but I really do feel that we in society, and particularly in my own profession, needs to take far more notice of the kind of things that people like you, Deanna and Bruce, are saying. So, in our next episode, we'll, we'll be doing the next in our new series in which we talk with faith-based faith and culture-based groups about family caregiving. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.